we would take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Chapter 10 is where we're at this morning, chapter 10. We work our way through the book of Acts. Peter's message to Cornelius' family. You know, something awesome is happening right here in Acts, uh, chapter 10. You know, Cornelius has a vision, as we talked about last week, whereby he is told to summon Peter to have him come to his house. Uh, what's awesome about this message, this passage that we looked at last week is two things. Uh, first, Cornelius did exactly what the Lord told him to do. Isn't that a, ma- a novel concept? I mean, just think about that. God told him to do something, and he did it. It wasn't like, Lord, why, or why send someone else, or I don't get it, so I don't want to do it. He just, God told him to do something, and he did it. Pretty novel concept, right? And then secondly, uh, while he obeyed what God told him to do, he sends the men out down to Joppa to find where Peter is staying and then summon him to come back. And while they're away doing it, you know what Cornelius is doing? He's gathering all his family around him, bringing them back to the house, bringing them back underneath his roof to do one thing. He is concerned that they know who Jesus is. And so he's gathering them so that they can come back and hear the message that Peter is going to tell them about the gospel. So what can we learn right away from Cornelius' life? We know that from last week he's a devout man, and one of the things I just kept coming back to several times this week was what we saw in Acts chapter 10, verse 4. And looking intently on him and becoming afraid, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. We talked about that last week. What is a memorial? A more memorial is something is to be remembered. When someone passes away, we have a memorial service for them. Why? Because we want to remember their life. And he says, your prayers are a memorial. Isn't that awesome? I mean, think about that. He says, your prayers have been heard, and they will be remembered as a memorial. It's amazing. Then he says down in verse 31, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. He doesn't just say it once. He says it twice. Obviously, his prayers reached heaven. That's the kind of praying I want to be a part of, right? I want prayers that will be answered, prayers that will be heard, prayers that God says, I appreciate those prayers. Though I know God hears every time I pray, I know that there are those prayers like this that just mean something. He says it will be a memorial And so right off the bat, we can learn two things, that we need to listen and obey what the Lord tells us. Don't question it. Don't rebuttal it. Don't wonder why. Just do it. And number two, the second thing I gathered just from right away in this idea of who Cornelius is, is that I wonder, have we ever gathered our family around us to make sure that they understand the gospel? How many of us would acknowledge we got family members that don't know Jesus? All of us almost, right? When's the last time we gathered them around? Cornelius was concerned for their eternal estate. Cornelius was concerned that they know who Jesus was. 
And so as they are summoning Peter to come back and share the gospel story, they're gathering all the people around that need to hear this message. I wonder if we shouldn't learn from that and somehow devise a, a means whereby we can share our, 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 our faith with our family members. But let's look at our text here for today. All that was just extra. It's free. I don't even charge you for it. So beginning verse 34 says, And opening his mouth, Peter said, I most truly comprehend now that God is not one to show partiality. But in every nation, the one who fears him and does righteousness is welcome to him. As for the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which happened throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a tree. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he appeared not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen before him by God, that is, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and solemnly to bear witness that this is the one who has been designated by God as judge of the living and the dead. Now get this, verse 43. If you don't think salvation is for all, he says, Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. God, I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning. Pray that you would use your word to speak to us. And Lord, that your will be accomplished. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, Peter begins to tell all those that Cornelius had gathered about who God is and who he'll receive. But before we unpack all this in the text... Let me clarify just a thought for you, just for a moment. Not everyone is going to heaven. And not all religions and all religious roads have the same destination. Would you agree with that? Not everyone is going to heaven. People kind of have this idea that if I just live a good life, if I just am a good person, if I just kind of help those around me, that somehow I'm going to kind of squeak my way in. No, you won't. And that's not my opinion. That's God's word. And so let me give you four thoughts here just to consider. Only one came to seek and to save mankind. In fact, we read of that in Luke chapter 19 uh, and verse 10. It says this, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. You know, if you look at all the denominations under the sun, they all have a founder. If you've never really researched religion and did a comparative religion survey, you'll find, come, to, come to understand that almost every religion under the sun, whether you're a Methodist or a Church of God, Church of Christ, Lutheran, it doesn't matter what religion you think you're a part of, they all have their founders. Only one person who came to give us salvation in Jesus Christ came for that very purpose. You don't have any other denomination that says, well, I came to give life. No, you didn't, because you can't. John Wesley, though he may have been a good man, did not come to give life. Only Jesus could do that. All these Buddha, Confucius, whoever you want to look at, they did not come to give life. Only Jesus did that. He said, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. So who needs Jesus? Those of us who are lost. And so Jesus Christ came to that. There's only one who came to do that. Number two, there's only one name by which mankind 
can be saved. And that's in Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men, which by we must be saved. Only one name. No founder, no other leader, no other director, no other person can say that I can give salvation. That's only in Jesus Christ. Number three, no personal effort will ever save mankind. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. Right? The bottom line is you cannot be good enough. You cannot be righteous enough. You cannot do anything of your own merit that will gain you entrance into heaven, right? So the reality is only Jesus could do that. And Titus 3, verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saves us, right? So you cannot be righteous enough. You cannot be holy enough. If there's anything that you can do to earn merit by which you think you can get into heaven, it's mistaken. Because only Jesus could do that. And then one more, God will save those who truly seek him. And Jeremiah 20, 13 says, You will seek me and find me when you search me for with your whole heart. Jesus says, If you will seek me, you'll find me. It's amazing how many times in my life I've heard someone share the testimony like, man, I was on my lowest part of my life. You know, I felt like lower than a snake's belly. I, I felt so worthless and so ashamed and so just, I, I don't even know. I just, I feel so worthless. And I said, God, if you're really there, I want to know you. I want to see you. And then all of a sudden God sends somebody. I read a story about that just this week. And uh, it's just amazing to me that God says, when you seek me, you'll find me. And people say, well, I just don't sense his presence. I just don't see him out there. Are you seeking him? And I'm not just throwing, talking about throwing out a Hail Mary. Oh, Lord, if you're out there, and then go on your merry way. When he says, when you seek me with your whole heart, when you have that desire to say, I, God, I want to know you, when we have that attitude, God says, you will find me. And here's the amazing thing that we read about right away as we go line by line in this passage. It's amazing to me. Verse 34, and opening his mouth, Peter says, now remember, he's got this group gathered together in Cornelius' house. There's various backgrounds, various circumstances, uh, various people groups that are represented here. <coughs> and he finds it <coughs> necessary to bring out one point. He says, I most truly comprehend now that God is not one to show partiality. I'm so thankful for that, that God says you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be poor. You don't have to know the most. You don't have to have a highest position or a lowest position. God says this gospel is for everyone. If you would take your, well, I'm sure Ken will put it on the overhead there, but in Romans uh, chapter 3 and verse 29 and 30. Get my fingers to not stick here. There we go. Three twenty nine and thirty says this. Or is it God, the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since indeed God, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that faith, is one. He said God is not a God of partiality. He's not a God who's going to show favoritism, right? He's not a God who's going to say, well, if you're of this camp or that camp, well, then you can be a part of my camp. No, he says anybody who puts their faith and trust in me will become one of my children. Look in James chapter 2. I want to read verses 1 through 9. He says, my brothers, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. 
What's the, we looked at this at men's group the other night, a couple Thursday nights ago. The bottom line is he says, do you think you're something? No, 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 no. God is not a God of favoritism. He says, for if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in bright clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the bright clothes and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down by any footstool, have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? You know what he's saying here? You're stereotyping. You're thinking because this guy has nice clothes and a nice ring on his finger that he's somehow better, that he's sometimes more important. No, he says, you got it all wrong here. He says, verse 5, Listen, my beloved brothers, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? So he doesn't matter whether you're poor and have nothing. He says you can be rich in Christ. And if you have the riches of this world, you still can be part of the love of God. <coughs> but verse 6 says, but you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and they themselves drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the good name by which you have been called? If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin, being convicted by the law as transgressors. So right off the bat, Paul puts every, or, or, I'm sorry, Peter puts everybody on the same playing field. He puts us all on the level ground and says, God is not a God of partiality. He says, this gospel message that I'm about to proclaim to you is for every one of you. And I challenge you this morning, I don't care whether you've been in church once in your life or a thousand and one times in your life or ten thousand and one times in your life. The gospel is for you if you will put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the bottom line is, I hope that you know him. I hope that you truly know him. So God's gift, says Peter, is for those who fear him and does righteousness. You know, it's amazing that... Wearsby says this, to fear God is to reverence and trust Him. So the part of fearing God is to put your trust in Him and Him alone. Who are you trusting in today? If you're trusting in your wealth, it's going to fail you. Many people found that out many years ago that the stock market goes up and down and you can lose everything in a heartbeat. You know, our life, you can stockpile it and all of a sudden die in a car accident. And it, it really is of no value to you. What are you putting your trust in? Are you putting your trust in your family? Are you putting your trust in your friends? Are you putting your trust in your, your position or your skills and abilities, your experiences? What is it that you're truly putting your trust in? If it's not trusting God, it's the wrong trust. And so he says, Peter, to fear God is to reverence and trust Him. And he said, the evidence of this faith is a righteous walk. Now, I think it's amazing here in this passage in verse... Um, 35 says, but in every nation, the one who fears him and does righteousness. So not only putting your trust in Jesus, right, in God the Father, but also does righteousness is welcome to him. So how do you do righteousness? What is it that you are doing for God? What is it that you are putting on every day? And there's so many verses that talk about putting on righteousness. In other words, righteousness has to do with our acts, what we do throughout the day. Are we putting on righteousness? So it's not just about believing, because God's Word says what? Even the devils believe and tremble. So it's not enough just to say, I believe. It's more than that. It's a relationship that says, I want to put daily on the righteousness of God so that it may be seen of God and seen of those that I am His child. 
So true salvation, then again, verse 36, says, as for the word which he sent to the sons of Israel, proclaiming the good news of peace through Christ, Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. It's amazing that true salvation brings peace. In Romans chapter 5, just give me just a moment to turn there. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, it says this, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Bottom line is when we are coming to God, he gives us the peace from being reconciled with him. Though we may be enemies in our sinfulness, as we come to him, we become part of his family and part of having peace that he wants us to have. Question, do you have that peace that comes as a result of knowing him? In Colossians chapter 1, if I can get over there quickly. Colossians chapter 1, almost there. He beat me to it. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 20 says, And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. See, the peace comes after you reconcile with God. Think about that word reconcile just for a moment. When you have an argument with somebody, is there peace? Not usually. Usually there's the opposite of peace. There's anger, there's frustration, maybe confusion. Lots of things happen at that moment when you have an argument with somebody. It's almost like you're opposed to them. But what happens after you reconcile with that person you had an argument with? Peace comes in. That's what happens with Jesus Christ. You see, apart from Jesus, in our sinfulness, we are enemies of God. He makes it clear. Romans 8 talks about it. How we are enemies of God if we're not his child. And the reality is that once we are reconciled to him, we then have peace. And in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you can't have peace apart from knowing Jesus. Now, does that mean I'm always going to be happy? No. There are things that most definitely don't make me happy. When I see what's going on in this world, it doesn't make me happy. When I don't get my way, I definitely don't say, well, I'm happy because I didn't get what I wanted. Bottom line is, though, I have peace because my peace is not based in the circumstances of what I do or don't do or what I get or don't get. My peace is based on what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. Even when it comes to our enemies. What does God's word tell us in the Psalms? Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall what? Offend them. I don't have to give in to everyone who's angry with me. I don't have to give in to everybody's frustration with me. Bottom line is, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. And God's Word also tells us in Isaiah 26, verse 3, Thou will give him what kind of peace? Perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he what? Trusts in thee. The bottom line is when I put my faith and my trust in Jesus Christ and keep my mind on him, he says, I will give you perfect peace. So I have to ask this question. If I don't have peace in my life, 
Why is that? If there is turmoil constantly in my mind and in my life, why is that? If everything's a bother and a frustration and, and an irritation to me, why is that? I often know in my own life, I'm just speaking for myself, that I, I, when, I, when I give in to all the frustration and the disappointment and, and get ir- easily irritated and easily angered, it's usually because my mind is not on God. It's on my selfishness and what I want and what I didn't get and what I think I deserved and what I think people owe me. And all those things come into the fact and it robs me of the joy that God has given me. But it comes back to my mind and where it's resting. Peter begins to share that this gospel is not a partial gospel. It's not one just for the rich or the poor or the wealthy or the those of position. He says this salvation is for all because why? Tells us in the end of verse uh, 36. Because he is Lord of, what's the word? All. Say it again. All. He's not just Lord of those who deserve it, because really, who does? He's not just Lord of those who may have more or have less. He's the Lord of all. And he makes it so clear to us. Now, Paul says, you need to know a couple things in verse 37 and 38. He says, you yourselves know the thing which happened throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Paul says, you know two things. Number one, you know what happened throughout all Judea. That was back earlier in Acts chapter 10. He says, as they were traveling, I'm sorry, Acts chapter 9, as they went around preaching as they left, and Remember, the whole book of James is uh, those who were dispersed. And they went out and through the dispersion and through the persecution, they went out about and they went out and they, and they were basically proclaiming the gospel. But when did that happen? When the Holy Spirit came upon them, he empowered them, he said, go out. He says, you all know what happened. And what happened? God began to work. God began to show himself strong. He said he was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. And number two, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Let me just give you something to consider. When you put your faith in God, and He fills you with His Holy Spirit, and gives you the power, because remember that's what He said in Acts 1, 8, He says, that, but you shall receive power after, the Holy, after this Holy Ghost has come upon you, right? And He tells us in 2 Timothy, you not receive the spirit of fear, but of power, love, sound mind. When you put your faith in God, and He fills you with His Holy Spirit, what happens? The second thing, you begin doing a good work for him. We already said, your works won't save you, it cannot save you. But the byproduct of a faith in Jesus Christ that is real and that is genuine is that you will begin to do a work for him. So once again, I ask the question, what is your work for the Lord? And by the way, just coming to church is not a work. That's just obedience, Hebrews 10.25. We'll say, I'll put an offering in. No, that's not a work. That's just obedience. That's giving God what's already His. Right? Yeah, there, there guys. So make sure you're still listening. So just being good to someone is not a work because being kind is what God told us to be, right? Right. So those aren't works. What are works? What are the works that you're doing for God 
to prove and to validate that you're truly His child? Are you sharing your faith? Are you encouraging others in their walk with God? Are you helping others grow in their, in their faith by discipling them and mentoring them in the Gospel? Are you willing to let God use you in some area of service for His glory, not our own? And by the way, there's no expiration date on this. I've literally met some elderly people who say, well, I taught Sunday school for 20 years. It's somebody else's turn. I, I didn't know you got to buy after you reach a certain age. I hope to God I die in the pulpit. I really do. I mean, not today or anything, but I mean, I mean, I, but I want to I go to the end. I want to stay faithful to the end, right? I want to I preach the, the day God calls me home. I, I don't want to just say, well, I'm 60 now. I'm done. What is it that God wants you to do till He calls you home? Are you willing to do it? Bottom line is, I think we get to this idea in our mind that, well, I've did my time. It's somebody else's turn. And <coughs> by the way, don't wait for someone else to do what God has asked you to do. Don't do that. Let God use you where you're at from this point on. And by the way... <laughs> I wish some of y'all could be in men's Bible study because we, we talked about this. Faith without works is what? Okay, and then that's James 2. And then he says, the him that knows to do good and doesn't do it is what? Sin. My goodness, if we know where things that we're supposed to do that God's put a burden on our heart to do, and we say, oh, let someone else do it, guess what? That is sin. What is it that God wants you to do? I don't know what it is. You and God know what that is. If you don't know what your gifts are and how you can use them, come talk to me. But use your abilities that God has given you for His glory. Don't just come to church and show up. That accomplishes nothing. Bottom line is God wants to use you. That's why He says, For by, work, by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But we often forget verse 10 that follows that. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto what? Good works. He wants us to walk in our good works. And sometimes we forget that. Paul says, you know two things. You know what happened throughout all Judea. And number two, he says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth. His death was witnessed by being hung on a tree. He tells us that. In verse 38, he says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Jesus anointed him so that he could do the work that he called him to do. And it says in verse 39, And we are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a tree. He says, You know of this Jesus and the work that he did. His resurrection was witnessed in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 5 through 8. It says this, And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. And that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep or they've died, they've passed on. Verse 7, after that he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. For I am the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me, whether then was it... I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. He said, you witnessed the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that was the power that went forth. 
as we served and ministered for him. And then we see in verse 42 in our text in Acts chapter 10, he brings it right back to Jesus. He brings it right back to him. What's he say? And he commanded us to preach to the people and solemnly to bear witness that this is the one who has been designated by God as judge of the living and the dead. He commanded us to preach Jesus. This is Peter talking to this household of people that is at Cornelius' house. And he's sharing them who Jesus is. He says, you know, who the, you know these two things. You know what happened in Judea. You know who Jesus is. Now he says, what are you doing with them? Is it just information? Is it just knowledge? Is it just facts about a man who was born and then lived and then died? Is it just more about a person named Jesus? Or is there something to do with what we know about Jesus? He says, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to solemnly to bear witness that this is the one who has been designated by God as judge of the living and the dead. Who's designated? God's son, Jesus. He brings it right back to Jesus. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 19, it says, If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all men most to be pitied. Some of your translations may say most men miserable. <laughs> who are we hoping in? If only in this life, now we hope him for the life to come. This world that we're living in is just temporary, right? It's just for a little while. But I want to bring it back to verse 43, the last verse that we looked at. It says, Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name, the name of Jesus, Acts 4.12, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Who is the gospel for? Who can have their sins forgiven? Anybody who puts their faith and trust in him. The bottom line is, I think there are four points in verse 43. Through his name, first of all. Not all roads are going to get to heaven. Jesus Christ said in John 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father, what? But by me. There is no other name. And folks, I hate to say it. You say, well, you Baptists are all exclusive. No, you, the Bible is exclusive. It's not my word. You get upset with it. Take it up with Jesus. It's his word. He's the one that said it. God says through my son Jesus, through his name and his name only, you can have life. And then he says in the same verse of him, and then he says through his name, and then that, what's that next word? Everyone. Everyone. I can't make that up. That's what his word says. Everyone. That's the John 3.16. For God so loved part of the world. Certain people in the world. People with certain positions in the world. People who have had it rough. People who have had it great. What's he say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Who's the whosoever? I think it's the same whosoever as everyone in verse 43. Everyone. 
who is willing to put their faith and trust in Jesus. And then he says the third key phrase in that verse, who believes. Is belief active or passive? It's active. It's active. You actively believe. In other words, I'm living it out. God's Word tells us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, don't just let it be something that's in your mind tucked away for a future day, your, your get-out-of-hell-free card. That, that ain't going to get you anywhere. This is about living it out daily, working out your salvation with fear and trembling, being active in our faith. It says, who believes? It's active. And then the blessing receives forgiveness of sins. We may not deserve it. In fact, I don't think we do. But nonetheless, God is gracious. That even in while we are dead in our trespasses and sins, in that Romans 5 8, but God demonstrated his love in this way, in that while we were yet sinners, he didn't say, Go clean up your life and then I'll give you you know, pass into heaven. Because we can't do it apart from him. Even while we are in our trespasses and sin, you know, that whole word trespasses is we've crossed the line. You all know what a trespass sign is. It says, don't go here. This is a line. This is a property line. You don't step over it. He says, even while you are in your trespasses and sins, even though you're across the line, you've stepped over that threshold, even while you're there, Christ died for you. So anyone who believes can receive forgiveness of sin. Isn't that awesome? That's a blessing. That God says, I love you. This is the message that Peter was summoned to share with Cornelius' family. I think it's a good message to share with our families. I've been reminded this week that I, I need to share this more with my family. I need to share it more with my brothers and sisters, my cousins, my relatives. I need to do more of this. Cornelius was willing to obey God and do what God told him to do and to bring him back to the gospel so that they could know Jesus. You know, today is what we call Palm Sunday. Once again, I started off the message by saying there's only one person who came to seek and to save those that were lost. If you would take your Bibles just for a moment and turn to John chapter 12. I want to read just a few verses. I love this. And we'll maybe talk about this again next week in more detail. But in John chapter 12, verse 12, it says, On the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. These things his disciples did not understand at first. But when Jesus was glorified, when they remembered that these things were written about him, and that they had done these things to him. Now think about this just for a moment. They were truly expecting that Jesus was going to be the what? The physical, literal king. He says, no, I'm the spiritual king. So the crowd who was with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness about him. For this reason also the crowd went and met him because they heard that he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, 
You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They did not understand. But here he is coming in, knowing full well. He came into this world knowing full well that it would end with his sacrificial death. He came to seek and to save those that were lost. In Matthew chapter 21 and verse 16, he says, And he said to him, Do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to him, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise for yourselves. All these people, for a moment, they're rejoicing that Jesus is coming. And they got the palm branches waving. Hosanna! He did it for the sins of the world. And he knew that it was going to end with his own sacrificial death. One more passage in Luke chapter 19. Just a couple of verses. 39 and 40 says, And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered and said, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones will cry out. Isn't that awesome? That's why Jesus came. This message that Cornelius wanted Peter to share was for salvation, is for the gospel. This is the very reason we celebrate this time of year, the Palm Sunday, the week before his crucifixion, and then next week we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He came that you may have life. And what greater mark of obedience could any of us partake of other than to obey him and putting our faith and trust in him? What a blessing that he's received, or that we received because of what he did for us. I don't know if you know him. I don't, I don't know everybody in this room this morning. I don't know where all of you are. I don't know where your backgrounds lie. But I know this. God loved you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross. He gave us this message that we might have hope. The question is, have you put your faith and trust in him? That's the first question. Do you truly know Jesus as your Savior? Let me, let me give you two things to consider, and it's not to scare you, because I don't believe the Bible w- intends this, but just two things to consider. Number one, we don't know when we're going to die. Everyone has this idea that, oh, I'll get more faithful later. I'll obey more later. I'll really get serious about serving God later. I'll, I'll deal with it later. You don't have the guarantee of later. Proverbs 27.1 says this, Boast not yourself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I guarantee you that throughout this 24-hour period, we're going to see in the news, we're going to hear on the news, we're going to know all across the country that somebody got in their car, intending to go up to the grocery store, they got T-boned and they were ushered into eternity. They didn't expect it. They were just going to the store. You say, are you trying to scare me? No, I'm just trying to say that's the reality of life. It's possible that I could get out of my seat right here and get in my car, run at the Wegmans and get T-boned and cross the East Henrietta. Good Lord, it almost happens every third day anyway. Some days, right? I don't know when I'm going to die. Last week I heard of a friend of mine who's 28, 30 years old. I've known him for 10 years here in this area. He was a pastor over in the city. He's got strep throat. 
few days later, it didn't feel good, and his hips were hurting. Just a couple days ago, 8 o'clock in the morning, went into the hospital because his hips were hurting, and he didn't feel good from a strep throat. 3 in the morning the next day, he was dead. From strep throat. His body turned septic. I promise you my friend did not wake up that morning thinking, well, I'm going to die today. We don't know when we're going to die. But I want to be ready when I do. Number two, I don't know when Jesus Christ is coming. In fact, God's word says, for for the Son of Man will come in a moment that you think not. When you don't expect it, I promise you the trumpet's going to blow. And he's going to come. And God's word says he's going to call those that are his home. Bottom line is, I don't know when I'm going to die. I don't know when Christ is going to come. But I want to be ready. And he says this gift that he was sharing of the gospel with his family, it was so important to him that he listened to God telling him to go get Peter to have this message shared. And meanwhile, I'm going to gather all my family around so that they can know it. Where are you at in the process? Do you know Jesus? And if you do know Jesus, are you sharing that gift with others so that they too can know Jesus? That's why we celebrate this time of year is because God loved us so much that he sent his son to die. That's the blessing of Easter. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's real. Thank you that it's true. Thank you that, God, we can trust it. But God, I do pray, Lord, if there be one here today, Lord, that does not know you as their Savior, Lord God, might today be a day of salvation for them. As it says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2, today is a day of salvation. God, I pray, if there be one, Lord, that that does not have that confidence, God, I pray that they would not be distracted by anything, by anyone But, Lord, that they would truly be honest because, Lord, their eternal destiny is in the balance. So, Lord, I pray as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, God, that you would just help us to pray to you, Lord, and to truly know whether or not we know you. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and I just ask that no one be looking around just for a moment, as we do each and every week, we have an opportunity to respond to what we've heard. Can I ask this question? Do you know Jesus? Are you confident that you have put your faith and trust in Him? Are you sure that He's your Savior? If not, can I just challenge you to simply pray? In childlike faith, say, God, forgive me of my sins. Just ask Him. Because He says in His Word that if I confess my sins, He will forgive us. That's the very reason He shed His blood. Just simply say, well, I don't know how to pray. Just simply talk to him. God, please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on a cross. Do you believe that? If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, just simply, do you believe that he died on the cross, that he shed his blood for you? If you do, say, God, I believe that you died on the cross for me. I believe that. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And then simply say, God, I put my trust in you and what you've done for me. 
If you've never done that, simply put your faith and trust in Jesus. Childlike faith. God, I trust you to save me. I trust you to give me salvation because I can't do it myself. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, say, Pastor, that's me this morning. I prayed that prayer. Anyone like that? I won't embarrass you, not call you out. Just simply look at me so I can pray for you. Did you pray that prayer? Anyone else? Say, Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure, but this morning I put my faith, my trust. I ask Jesus for forgiveness. That's me. Anyone else say, Pastor, that's me. Just simply look at me. I'll not embarrass you. Then the rest of the invitation is for the rest of us. Do you care about those who are dying and going to hell? Are you concerned about your family? Your relatives? Your friends? Your co-workers? Who may not yet know Jesus? Do you care enough to gather them around and to share? At least once you can say, I shared the gospel with them. Is that important to you? I asked at the beginning how many of you had relatives that didn't know Jesus. And I'm sure I could get the same response if I said if you have friends or relatives or co-workers or neighbors, our hands will go equally go up just as much again. You say, Pastor, God's convicted me. I need to share Jesus. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? Yes. Yes, yes. All over. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me. That's my desire. Yes, yes. In the front, in the side. Can I challenge all of you who've lifted your hand, your heart, to simply, Lord, God, help me to share Jesus. I know that you've given me boldness and courage. Help me to use it. Oh, we can get excited about the basketball game. We can get excited about the football game. We can get excited about a sale going on. If we can get excited about any other thing under the face of God's earth, help us to get excited about sharing Jesus. Let's get excited about that once. See what God will do with that. Just simply say, Lord, help me to share my faith with your Holy Spirit's power. Help me be faithful in sharing Jesus. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, let's just stand to our feet for a moment. Maybe this morning, as some have come, maybe you need to come and just kneel at the altar and pray. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, maybe you need to come and just seal some decisions at the altar this morning. I encourage you to do that as the organ plays. Maybe this morning you just need to take a moment and pray and seal it before God. Let's just pray quietly in our in our where we're standing just for a moment.
Lord God, thank you for being a real God, a God that loves us, cares for us, a God that knows the very things that we are going through, and yet is patient with us, is kind to us, is forgiving us. Lord, thank you for who you are. And I pray, dear Father, you continue to work in our hearts, Lord. Long past the service time, long past our trips home, God, may you continue to work to draw us closer to you, Lord. And do the work in us, Lord, that only you can do. So God, thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. And I pray, God, that we would be submissive to it, Lord, even beyond this service time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.